Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Yeah, it's called conversations with Jeff, not screaming matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Conversations with Jeff here on the GK Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm really excited about about today's show, but before we get to that, I wanted to remind you guys we are pre-ordering our book, uh, Church and State, How the Left Use the Church to Conquer America. You guys can go over to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state to check out that and get more information on that book project. It's another group pro- group project that we did similar to Social Injustice. Got a bunch of experts together, each talking about the strategy of actually infiltrating into the Christian church. Got guys like uh, Pastor Greg Glock, Dr. Michael Brown, uh, Denise McAllister, uh, Pastor Ken Peters, a bunch of the GK guys, that sort of thing. So definitely check that out. If you guys use the code Jeff at checkout, you get 10% off. Plus, you'll get a free ebook uh, by Pastor Sam Jones, Why I Am Pro-Life. So definitely check that out. Uh, it'll, it'll be a great resource to you as we're seeing a lot of this craziness going on around us, both within the church and in secular society as well. So definitely check that out. Um, really excited. Uh, we're bringing back Michael Johns back here to Conversations. Uh, Michael, you co-founder of the Tea Party, former speechwriter of President Bush. I mean, the resume's there, but also, too, you used to work with Liberty University, which is, uh, which is, or you have experience with them, which is part of what I wanted to talk to you about today. But, uh, yeah, welcome to the show. I'm glad we can, uh, glad we can chat here for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It's good to be back with you. Glad to see things are going well with you guys. You're building quite a network. I uh very supportive of what you're up to. It's awesome. Definitely. I I really I really appreciate it. You know, and, and I think I think for you too, like a, a lot of a lot of the times when you're coming on shows, a lot of times you're talking obviously it's po- you know, politics, you know, especially with your background in in experience and stuff, but I think I think a lot of people, you know, they they'll talk to you about that, but then you do also have a lot of experience within, you know, Christianity and evangelicalism and all that kind of stuff. So, can you kind of share a little bit of your background from that perspective too? 
Well, um, I did for uh, quite a significant period of time, right, um, for uh, Jerry Falwell Sr. and uh, for what was then the Liberty Report, which was their flagship publication. Um, this is kind of when the moral majority was evolving into the entire uh, institution that it's become, which is, in my view, likely the leading um, Christian uh, university in the world. Um, and that has been a just incredibly well managed. Uh, Jerry Falwell was an important figure in building a bridge between Christianity and politics at a time when we had many Christians who didn't quite know what to do politically. And we had political conservatives who were sort of losing touch with any um, sort of moral foundation of our movement. Um, so he awakened and was, he was a controversial figure because the left made him controversial. Um, but one thing that's indisputable is that just, you know, just to look, just take the ideas out of it for a second and look at the management is that, you know, he, he really built one of the largest grassroots um, Christian activist organizations in this country, um, was immensely influential in um, both the church and in uh, American public life, um, forged a lot of important relationships politically and was, you know, just in my view, one of the singular most individ influential individuals in the formation of what's come to be called whatever you want to call it, the religious right, etc. Um, no matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Masters. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. And uh, he was a good communicator. He was an extraordinarily nice man <clears throat> um, and uh, passed on this institution on to his uh, son, who has been just, I mean, if you look at that university and what it's become and the magnitude of things, I mean, I just look at the athletic program, Jeff. I mean, it's like there's like guys in the NFL who went to Liberty University. I mean, it's it's it's, it's like it's no joke of, of an athletic program and. Um, the the curriculum is is incredible. People come from all over the world to to go there. Um, their online programs, as I understand it, are really exceptional. The the faculty there is great and all basically committed to this um, mission of uh, educating a younger generation and 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 building a younger generation of. Um, Christian and Christian-inspired leaders who can go out and influence 
the world in a whole bunch of different professions. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think that that's where you know when when we're seeing what's actually happening with with Falwell Jr. I think I think a lot of times we can allow the mainstream media to kind of control and dictate the, the narrative about the guy. You know, and obviously if, if you're watching like mainstream news or anything like that, I mean, they're always talking very negatively about the guy, very, very you know, very focused on that. But then again, at the, at the same time, like, like you're saying, look at what they're actually able to accomplish over there at, at Liberty. When you think about it, they're one of the few, if only major colleges or universities that's still pushing true conservatism. Like most of the other, even Christian colleges have been overtaken by this kind of like woke theology and leftist ideology that it almost sounds like it's AOC or Bernie Sanders talking. I mean, there's still kind of a beacon yeah. of freedom and liberty over there. Hillsdale's often cited as um, a university that has embedded um, this radical notion that the U.S. Constitution, the free market, and uh, American democracy is something worth protecting. <laughs> so there's a second university. Yeah, true. But it is an, it is an absolutely astounding observation that we have you know, 99% plus of American universities who have been overrun by an ideology that seeks the destruction of our founding principles. I don't, I don't believe I'm overstating that, am I? I mean, that certainly has been my anecdotal observation, and it, well, it's not one that I just made the last year or two. I mean, this has been the case all the way back to my own time in college, um, where the left put a lot of focus on taking over these institutions. And, um, you know, the one thing, as much as I... Um, don't you know, really have a, a strong distaste for the the principles that are guiding the left today um, and have been. You can't deny the absolute assertiveness and the collective cohesion of this movement. That's what makes it powerful. That's what makes it threatening. That's what allows them, the whole cancel culture to thrive. And, you know, I'm not incredibly familiar with all of the details of Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, I'll just say this about him. I think he has done an exceptional job in the management of Liberty University. I think he had done an exceptional job in his relationship and support that I share of this president uh, in Donald Trump. And the incident that forced his resignation or led him to conclude that he had to resign to me seems... Like it should have been, look, when I uh, read the Bible, I don't see any guiding principle on pant attire and Instagram, and Instagram photos. But I do see a common theme of forgiveness that is transmitted in uh, Christian theology and um, within the Bible. And, and to the extent we're guided by anything, he apologizes for maybe a slight distastefulness in the photo. I think you accept the apology and you move on. The fact that this guy's got to abandon the university that he has been so instrumental in building and leading into, and now placing the entire institution into hopefully it's so things work out well, but you never know. I mean, when, when something's working and you change it, you're running the risk that it might not work like it used to. You can't diminish his leadership and the importance of his leadership in that university. No one, you're the first person to ask me about it, but if anyone had asked me about it at the time, I would have said, you know, move on. I mean, it's like, or, we're, we are uh, flawed, flawed people. We make, people make mistakes every day. In the grand scheme of 
of errors and mistakes, including people in high positions of authority, uh, whatever he's accused of certainly doesn't rank in anything that um, should be, I think, broadly concerning. And to those who have been affiliated with that university who called for his resignation, I think, man, you got to go back to, to and think about what you're doing and you got to revisit the, um, uh, you know, the, the forgiveness components um, that are throughout the Old and New Testament of, of the Bible and ask whether you're really applying the principles that this university stands for or whether you're kind of coming up with your own. Um, and that's always been, you know, and also, honestly, I think it's an alienating development, too, because I think the holier-than-thou kind of view that we can't get to a point of forgiving individual um, error is one. It it's, leads some individuals to say, you know, I can't uphold the values of Christianity. Therefore, I'm not a Christian. Right. I mean, have you ever encountered that? I think I have. Yep. I think it's one er- the, 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 the the exact opposite message is the one that we should be communicating. Is it particularly, you know, for, to those individuals who have made errors of judgment or immorality or whatever, this, you know, it's got to be a church that is whose doors are wide open and welcoming um, to those individuals. That's the way I look at it. And, um, you know, I, I, we're, we're held to a very high standard, a much higher standard than those on the other side. It's uh, And we are asked to put up with lies, and, and misrepresentations of fact and uh, implied allegations, all of which are untrue. And we're asked not to defend ourselves too aggressively um, or we're violating some other, you know, supposed uh, premise of, of, of our involvement here. It's a very difficult task. We're asking a lot of a lot of people. This is a good guy. I hope he comes back as soon as possible. I'd encourage him and would even encourage many others to lead a charge for his uh, return. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I, and I, and I think too, I, I think to a certain degree, you know, th- there's this hypocritical standard of the left that they, they hold, um, they hold especially conservative Christians specifically to an extremely high standard and anything anybody does wrong or messes up or even can be twisted or perceived as wrong. It's like we, we have to destroy them. But I think that there's oftentimes as conservatives, we are complaining about cancel culture from the left but I think within within conservatism, with maybe even more so within the evangelical movement, it seems like we kind of have our own cancel culture as well that I almost think right. that the left is using against us because they know, okay, let's bring out these allegations against Falwell, and then his own people will destroy him. They don't even have to really do anything. And I, I wonder if, to a certain degree, that's really what's going on here. Well, and you know, to the extent you're going to identify any evil in all of this, I don't see any evil in anything that Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, has done that I'm aware of. But one thing that brushes up against evil is exploiting and exaggerating, misrepresenting, um, or implying attributes to a leader of his caliber out of the interest of, of out of self-interest, you know, and, um, it, there's way too much of that on our side. It's, we have a movement that's actually rooted more in competition than it is collaboration. And you're never going to, we are going to continue to trip over our shoelaces if we function that way. Um, 
we want to see, uh, you know, we and it contradicts the very premise of conservatism that we that we could the pie can always be, be bigger, right? Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. You know, the left's position is there's only so much pie. It gets cut up different ways. And, you know, if one person's slice is too big, then it's coming at someone else's expense. We've always kind of returned that argument by saying, no, you grow the pie bigger. Uh, we don't equally want to equally distribute the pie. You're disincentivizing some, you're incentivizing others, you're in, empowering government or an institution uh, in ways that you shouldn't. It's all backwards. And uh, we have to realize that uh, we want everyone on our side to succeed and to move forward and, and um, do well. So I, um, I'm not. I have not been involved with Liberty University for a number of decades, but I have a great degree of admiration for what they're up to. And um, uh, without Jerry Falwell Jr., that place would not be what it is. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, what what's your take? And what would be like kind of like you overcoming this objection in the sense of I feel like there's there's a lot within Christianity that will that will critique people like Jerry Falwell and and Jerry Falwell Jr., Liberty University and all that kind of stuff, and some other Christian organizations that are very actively involved in conservative politics, totally support Trump. And, you know, the and the accusation often is you're placing your politics in the country over God and over your faith. What, what What's your take in that? Because I feel like to a certain degree, oftentimes it's a way to really silence conservatives because we don't ever want to be accused of worshiping anything bigger than God. But at, but at the same time, it's like we still need to be active within politics. So how, how do we deal with like an argument like that? I, in this particular case, like there's a whole bunch of things that if he had done, I would have looked at it very differently and said, yeah, I, you know, more or less should step down. But um, I think the particular incident involved is not got – any substance i'm not really sure what the allegation even is exactly um and it's greatly exaggerated and you're holding a human being to standards that are unobtainable ultimately by almost anyone um this man is a man like we all are 
he's a very enlightened man. He's a smart man uh, and he's a great leader. Um, and, um, yeah, we just have to stop eating our own, you know, uh, and, um, we do. And I, I think you put it well. I mean, I, I see this as a pretty pervasive issue and, um, we also have to realize in this environment that a lot of individuals are going to fall under undue scrutiny and attack. And, um, we don't throw you know, can't throw these people under the bus because, um, they're coming for you next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, and I think too, I think, I think the, um, I think the dangerous example, Alex Jones, yeah. this guy who, uh, to me, in my judgment has done more harm than good in this movement of ours. And, uh, you know, he's got a very strong, passionate following. Um, there's a few things he's focused on that actually in the absence of him following on it may not have received attention. And then he's been wrong on about twice as many things. And, you know, when he kind of encountered a lot of these problems, I, I said to a number of people that throwing this guy under the bus was the easiest move. Um, but you they're going to start with their weakest links and move on from there. And that that's not necessarily the way to go about it. And sure enough, that's exactly what's happened is that um, they're moving down the list systematically, which is the way Marxism historically has worked. This is not a new playbook. This playbook goes back to the Communist Manifesto, which clearly des describes how to, to utilize division and, and human resentment among classes of people to create power vacuums that Marxists can fill. And they've utilized the same playbook for, you know, going on two centuries and um you know we still have not awakened to what we're confronting by the way that is also the other common denominator of them. a lot of countries that have gone through marxist revolutions is that they never really realized they were in a marxist revolution until the revolution's complete yeah so for instance you get back to um castro in the mountains and the you know, uh, pre, you know, preaching to the people and talking about discrepancies of um, income distribution or um, what he would do, you know, for the people. And it all sounded great. And uh, the naive gravitated to it. And beneath it was this very poisonous ideology that has entrapped that uh, country now in totalitarianism for decades upon decades led to all sorts of uh, killings of innocents, arbitrary arrests, detentions, s suppression of all liberty and freedom. Um, you know, it's always, it always ends in betrayal, sadly. And um, and it's a big, big leap for, for to ask of Americans to, to recognize that the individuals who told us they were Marxists, in ideology guided by Marxist tactics that are leading this movement are in fact what they told us. I just think there's a, a general perception among most Americans that everything's going to ultimately be okay. You know, that yeah. um, we're going through a phase here, you know, and uh, this phase has been, has had a great degree of continuity to it where, you know, um, prized institution after prized institution has fallen under its control. And uh, we're starting to get back into a corner here where about the only thing we have left in our arsenal 
is the good senses of the American people and a pretty bold um, president of the United States. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I think the danger and what makes me nervous a little bit when it comes to this whole thing with Falwell and, and Liberty is just is just that I see that I see players working around and it seems like they're trying to like you're saying take out the next guy on the list and see if they can't kind of gain control of this university that is really a beacon of conservatism and, and I think that that's the danger that we're facing employs a lot of people uh, to educating it's in, it's got it's exactly you know this country needs about 20 more Liberty universities not yep. one less yep uh, you you know and um, I, I haven't sort of taken the temperature of other conservatives on this question, but, you know, now you have the American conservative movement, I would suggest possibly getting this on the agenda of launching a grassroots campaign for his restoration. Because yeah. the only way to counter the negative voices is with positive voices. The only way to counter bad speech is with good speech. The only way to counter um, detrimental um, organization is with the organization of people with constructive ends. And I don't know if, if I'm right or wrong about this, but I would suspect that most people who've been glued into what's been going on at that great institution now for the last few decades has got really positive feelings about his leadership. The guy should come back. You know, he's apologized, accept his apology and let's go. I mean, I mean, I don't know what we think we're doing. What higher cause are we serving here? Yeah. I mean, we also got to remember, like, hey, we're we're in election season. I mean, you know, there, there's a reason why everything happens like right about now. Like, hey, let, hey, why don't we take out the leader of the, the most conservative university and most visible and active and, and hosting the president? Why don't we take him out just before the election? I mean, to me, it just well, seems way too strategic. You're exactly, right. you're exactly right. You're exactly right, Jeff. If you look at the media coverage, just the few articles I read, it's you know, basically, you know, is is liberty is turning on Falwell and turning on Trump. You know, the, the the idea is you take these institutions or organizations of people that you think would be the most reliably, predictably supportive and present them as having cracks in them. The reality is there is no crack in the Trump base in this country. You get 63 million Americans who voted for this man in 2016. You got an entirely hugely well-funded never trump movement that has been able to find about a handful who say they voted for trump in 16 and are not going to vote for him in 20 and i'm going to tell you something i question and hope that somebody can research the validity of that because i almost guarantee looking at these people i i'm untrusting of that uh statement i've never seen a president who's held on to his base as strongly as this president has in our lives and um i think if the messaging is right over the next few months, and if we're up front in, in this uncomfortable recognition of Joe Biden's obvious um, deteriorating mental condition, whatever that condition is, I don't want to speculate. I don't know. Uh, I think he owes some explanation. Um, this should be a pretty obvious conclusion. Um, we're dealing with a guy who's 47 years of political experience with just about no major accomplishment that he can point to. I will be very curious to hear, and I hope the media will ask him in 47 years, what he thinks he's accomplished. He's been all over the map on a bunch of issues. You look at his, I try to frame his trade philosophy, for instance, 
And you look and you realize, well, all these trade agreements that were passed under Clinton, a Democrat, he voted for. And then you look at very similarly structured trade agreements on Bush 43, who was a big champion of bilateral trade agreements that he voted against. And then you look at that entire eight years, the president said he's in the White House in part because of the failure of Obama and Biden. I totally agree with that. First administration not to get 3% GDP growth in even one year of their time. Uh, they came in saying how much they were going to uh, help those who were disenfranchised or disengaged um, from the American experience. He had 43 million Americans who, when Obama left office, were in poverty, who were not in poverty when he arrived. 43 million more, 11 million more Americans who were on food stamps, lowest labor participation rate. At any time since the 70s, lowest home ownership rate in, in half a century, um, $870 billion in new regulations, 3,000 major new regulations, some of which is President Trump has gotten rid of, and a global trade deficit under um, Obama and Biden that rose over $700 billion uh, as part of a philosophy of managed decline that Steve Bannon has been describing very well. I've been trying to describe, not many other people are describing, but our government, both parties, have for decades now been engaged in developing domestic and trade and foreign policies that are basically designed to offload our leader, our global leadership and to kind of recognize that our best days have come and gone and that the, the peaceful, uh, smooth transition of global power and um, job creation and um, production and global leadership um, needs to be given off to, to China. It's been a philosophy that's basically guided, I think, American policy, um, certainly since the 90s, maybe longer than that. Yeah. Well, you know, and, uh, and it's one, by the way, that Biden completely adheres to and has been even complicit in, and that President Trump, you know, has staunchly understood and opposed and has been speaking about his entire career even before he pondered a entering American political life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think that, you know, dealing with all of this with, with the election and, and with Biden and all this kind of stuff, I'm, I'm looking at the Biden candidacy and then they pick Kamala Harris as VP, which is like a whole other mess, like in and of itself de dealing with her. But you're looking at it, and I'm trying to figure out what what's their what's their end game with this? Because if, if you're looking at it like from a strategic standpoint, you've got a guy clearly has dementia-like symptoms. Well, what, to put it mildly, right? And then you've got Kamala Harris as VP. I don't know what she necessarily brings to the table when you look at okay, so she comes from California, where she doesn't necessarily have the best. Uh, the high, the highest ratings and the high, and the highest reviews and that sort of thing. They already have California in no. the in the books. So, what what does Kamala Harris really bring to the table? And then you're like, at a certain point, I'm almost wondering, are they actually trying to win this, or are they playing are are they playing this off like, okay, we don't know if we can win, but if if we don't, we're not going to throw a big name like a Michelle Obama or somebody like that, you know, under, under the bus and ruin and ruin her reputation by losing. I almost I almost get this feeling like they don't necessarily think that they can win if they've got Joe Biden with dementia and Kamala Harris who doesn't who's coming from California with not very good reviews. 
Yeah, so I, I agree with that. I don't. Let me try to answer it. I don't think we're uh, look. I think we're at a point where I don't want the criticism of Biden's obvious diminished capacity to be viewed in a partisan or political way. This was Ronnie Jackson, who was Barack Obama's personal physician. This is what he had to say about it from his observation of Biden's communications. Quote, he can't form sentences. Sometimes he can't complete a thought, end quote. And that's just abundantly clear when you look at his 2020 campaign, that this guy is not what he was uh, 10 years ago or even five years ago. Something's clearly wrong. The vast majority, 59% of Americans polled, don't believe he can complete a four-year term. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com spiritpark. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Um, there's plenty of speculation that he might not, not even be able to begin a four-year term. He is not prepared, and we need to like confront this and have this difficult conversation that he is not prepared to assume the most demanding um, physically and mentally job in the world. He's not even a little bit ready. Um, I said the other day, I don't want this to be taken disparaging. Look, if he were here and I said, hey, drive down to the store and get me two liters of Diet Coke and a dozen eggs, I, I'm really not confident he would come back with it. Um, something is very wrong, and it's almost saddening to see this guy, I think, pushed reluctantly into this position. Because when you go back and look, we start to forget with everything that's happened since. But he procrastinated and procrastinated in entering this race. Um he was looking at it, thinking about it. You know, meanwhile, packs were getting formed, uh, exploratory candidacies were being formed, and he was very kind of late to get into it. And then you look at his performance in the first few months, and I think all of those pre-Super Tuesday primaries looked at his performance in debates and his, and the personal observation of his visit to these states and said, this guy's just not ready. And then you look, I guess, finally at, at – what he did, what he's done in his public life. And it's just, and, you know, I, I told you about the failed Obama um, Biden years, but um, I didn't even mention a lot of things, the Iran agreement, the Paris um, environmental debacle, which 
by the way, doesn't even hold China accountable for one dollar of if the biggest polluter in the world is not accountable for one dollar. It's a mass uh, income redistribution scheme that treats the United States as part of this managed decline process. Um, you know, it's just basically de- designed to further diminish our leadership in the world. The president. Trump's getting us out of there. It was one of his most important things. But you look at these first few days of the um, DNC, and, you, you, you know, firstly, I don't hear the name Joe Biden being mentioned. I hear Donald Trump being mentioned. But they clearly uh, have some degree of trepidation about their candidate. I don't think I, I don't think that really if you press them that they would um, disagree with the way you and I have just described his capacity. And then you look at the agenda. He's going to raise $4 trillion of taxes on about 80% of the country. So with 82% of middle-income workers who experience tax relief from the president's tax cuts, he's going to re- repeal that. By the way, that that's bad enough. But then you kind of even try to understand, like, what's the underlying economic philosophy? Aside from the fact that you got to oppose it because Trump supported it, how is that supposed to make America stronger? How is that going to create jobs? How is that going to increase wages? It's going to do none of those things, just the opposite. And and that question is not being asked to him. Um, border policy. There literally is no policy on the border. We, the, You know, the swamp tells us there's 11 million illegal immigrants in this country. Many close to it, following it, believe, as I do, that it's more like 30 million. No one's asked the question, at what point when the 30 becomes 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million? Like, at what point does that become a burden on this country in the eyes of this ticket in Harrison and um, Biden? They say they're not going to cut police funding. The first night in one of their caucuses, they got this radical on there talking about how they don't want to just cut police funding. They want to completely eliminate law enforcement eliminate incarceration you know imagine whatever the phrase is a future without you know police by the way you don't have to imagine you can look at what they did at Chaz in seattle that was Chaz was designed in my view to depict what a law enforcement free community would look like and to be able to present hey look we did this we pulled this off we didn't have any police here and nobody got hurt nobody got robbed Nobody got killed. Well, yeah, it's like they're not even two weeks into it, and they have two innocent people killed. The thesis thesis that they operated under behind Chaz was completely debunked by the reality of what actually transpired there when you removed law enforcement from the streets. And that's true this country, the world over. Additionally, they continue to pick law enforcement like they're not bound by um, our democratic political system. I mean, all they do is enforce the laws, right? I mean, that's it. It's it's law enforcement. It's not making up laws. They they you know it's literally enforcing laws that are developed by elected officials that if we don't like, we can replace. And by the way, that happens every day in this country where we go and change statutes or laws, including criminal statutes, which are made federally and on a state and sometimes on a local level. You don't like the statute, go change the statute. You don't get rid of the, the, the entity that's responsible for enforcing it. In fact, you probably could argue in many of these particularly urban environments that there's there's not enough put into law enforcement. I mean, you're asking, you've got individuals that are working too long hours, 
the training's not sufficient. Um, we knew you know, there should be even more emphasis on training given the sensitivity that's attached to this and some of the issues attached to it. And you can't have these individuals working excessive hours or, you know, you run the risk of errors of judgment. I think that's part of the solution. Um, and of course, you know, they continue to talk about the pandemic as if Donald Trump manufactured this thing in the basement of the White House. This was manufactured in Wuhan, China. President Trump was the one on January 31 in the boldest political and policy step of any president, really in a few decades, in my judgment, um, put in place the hugely, then hugely controversial and unsupported ban on travel from China that Biden called racist and xenophobic. Again, where's the media asking him? You want you wanted people infected with um, coronavirus to continue to come into the United States from China on January 31, presumably on February 1, February 2. At what point did you reach the conclusion that it was not racist, was not xenophobic, and in fact was a good policy idea to actually do this? Um, it is incredible to me that how shameless you can be in this convention to stand there and lecture Trump about the management of a pandemic that by and large, the single biggest decision on which by and large, he, he was on the other side of, and she was on the other side of. Um, so I, I just, I'm seeing a very far left agenda that they are trying to not get too specific about because the specifics are not good for American employment. They're not good for American wages. Uh, they're not good for American competitiveness. They're not good for American sovereignty by no metric. Would they, and by the way, look at the Obama, you know, Biden performance on poverty, the statistics of which I just cited. They have no track record of, uh, track record of lifting up um, individuals in our cities or in states of uh, poverty. That actually did happen in the first three years of the Trump administration, where over 7 million new jobs were created, where wages started to rise for the first time since the turn of the century, where African-American, Hispanic, and Asian unemployment was at the lowest state under President Trump in the history of this country. Now, it's very easy to forget all the, those and many other accomplishments when we have a pandemic and many are homebound, uh, or to forget them when we've got Marxist uh, thugs tearing up some of our city's best um, streets of our best cities. Uh, but neither of these current crises were created by this president. In fact, I go further to say this was a creation of China and of the far left. And it's Trump is the solution, uh, not the core of the problem. Yeah, well, you know, like, you know, I've even been seeing, um, I, th I think that they were talking about it during the, during the convention, but then also I've been seeing tweets from like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and stuff, and they're like, you know, uh, when Trump became president, he inherited, you know, an economy that was growing from Obama, and then now there's whatever high percentage, 20%, whatever it is, unemployment, you know, what, I don't remember what the exact numbers are right now, yeah. but. If, if just pause there, though, Jeff, which the left never will pause and just ponder the absurdity of their commentary on this. Simultaneously, they're saying, shut everything down. Shut these businesses down, right? 
And then they're turning around in the same breath and saying, look what you did to American employment. Am I missing anything? I mean, that's precisely what's going on here is that these blue state governors have been the most rigorous in literally perceiving, I guess, some degree of political benefit that they're deriving from complete shutdowns in their economy that exceed the needs of public health, which are also at stake and are a consideration. I'm not denying it, but they're doing that, which is like kind of bad enough. But then they're turning around and blaming the president of the United States, who has pointed out that these policies are too economically restrictive and blaming the president for the employment situation. And the only final point I'd, I'd, I'd mention is that the last three months, over nine million jobs have been created. Okay, so we lost many more than that, true, uh, because of the pandemic and the fears of it and the steps that were taken on the state level to restrict the opening of businesses. That was inevitable. But the stimulus approach that's been taken by the president, the um, management of of the pandemic, which could be vastly worse. I know that's tough to imagine, but it could be worse. and understanding how to get this economy back on track like it was under his leadership has put over 9 million people back to work. We've got many million more to go. But, but this ticket of, of Obama and Harris, haven't, they have no track record, record of job creation. I don't think they understand or could articulate how a new job actually is created and, what, and everything that goes into that. I mean, I... I, I think we, we have reached a point in this country where the exposure and the education that individuals bring to this respective to this profession is just so varying that there are literally whole areas uh, that are that are so consequential to to our country and its state and its leadership and its success that the left not only got has wrong but they really don't even understand and I think at the end of the day. Like a lot of these individuals that are part of the new Democrat left really don't understand free market economies or job creation or how or what it takes to run a company, start a company, all those things. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, is it that they don't know or is it that there's another something else at play here? Because because I feel like because I feel like typically what what happens with with the Democrat with the Democrats and their strategy and all that is. They're the ones that create the problem in the first place, and then they come in with a solution to fix their problem. And, you know, we we can look at like the medical industry, which which I know, like healthcare, which I know you you know a lot about, right? So like mm-hmm. a lot of the biggest, a lot of the problem with the healthcare industry was overregulation and and the potential for like lawsuits and and all that kind of stuff, right? So that skyrocketed the prices, and a lot of that was influenced by progressive big government uh, regulation that was being forced on the healthcare system. And then their solution to fix their own problem is more government to fix that. And I feel like we see this happening over and over again, but they always kind of hide it historically. This is the first time where I feel like it's so blatant. It's so out there, but they're still using the same strategy. And you're just like, how is it that some people just don't even see it? They see the symptoms of the far left's. Um, policies. Um, I don't think I think the American people are, were pretty glued in. If you want to take Obamacare to the fact that um, just about every fact 
that Biden and Obama said about Obamacare proved wrong. Um, you can keep your doctor. Turns out tons of doctors left that program because the reimbursement rates were too low. Many people lost their doctor. You can keep your plan. They imposed such extraordinary regulations on private insurance plans and such costs. Many plans went out of business to the point where some states like Arizona were you know, down to like a a handful of, of small plans that were available. They talked about the cost savings that would be represented in Obama in Obamacare, which uh, proved costly both to our federal deficit, but I think even more importantly to individuals, where you know the um, the premiums and the deductibles were so great that it you can't even really with straight face describe it as health insurance. It was like buying a catastrophic plan that would you know cover. Uh, the most serious of situations, but the out-of-pocket expenditures associated with that plan were completely unreasonable. The regulatory burdens they imposed were unbelievably costly to the industry. And strategically, like Obama actually did say, I think back in, when he was in the Illinois um, State Senate, that the steps to uh, nationalized health care was not a single step, that it had to be done in a series of steps. So in the most cynical of ways, if you want to look at what was the guiding ideology or strategy behind Obamacare, it was to increase the burden on private insurance in such a significant way that, as was the case, these private insurance plans went out of business and that the public demand for enhanced federal engagement in health insurance actually would politically grow, creating a national movement for nationalized health care. As it turns out, the plan backfired so extensively to the point where they couldn't even manage their own website that they put tens of millions of dollars into. The thing was so broken in every single respect that when President Trump removed the mandate part, which our Tea Party movement was a leader in saying was unconstitutional, requiring American people to buy a product they may not want, right? That's, to me, a definition of an unconstitutional policy measure. Um, that when, when the president correctly removed that um, mandate, the, you know, you saw a bunch, a good number of people just simply leave the program. Now, why did they leave the program? Because they, were in, they weren't in the program for the health insurance. They were in it to avoid the tax penalty. And then I guess that's my final point on their, the, you know, the Biden-Obama philosophy on health care is, Buy our plan or we're going to penalize you. I mean, that in essence was the way they rolled this thing out. You have two options. You can pay us for nothing or you can buy this really deficient uh, plan that offers you very limited coverage and diminished access to health care and diminished providers in health care. And, you know, a few people looked at that. A few million people looked at it and took the plan. But by and large, they didn't make significant steps in diminishing the number of uninsured in this country. They drove a lot of people that had plenty, you know, insurance that they loved and, and valued that they had through private employers out of the market. And then they added a few more in, in the public, in this public option and net net, it really didn't change the public health crisis that we have. And the crisis is one which we do have to have an answer to of in my judgment, we need to preserve the private plans among employers. 
that means we need to create jobs in the country and we need to incentivize employers to make sure they offer health insurance. We need to preserve the Medicaid for those with no income or assets, which has long existed now. Um, you know, this idea that you, uh, I, I, like I read these cases of people who went bankrupt for their, you know, or, or who could not afford to get these. Well, we have, we have this Medicaid plan that's designed to care precisely for those with no income and no assets. And it's structured in a way that it's not designed to be discriminating based on that affiliation. Um, that probably needs to be shored up and fixed in some areas. I've actually done some work in those areas as well. I've seen some examples of some things I haven't liked. But I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> of all the countries in the world, if you have no income and no assets and you're concerned about your health, there's no country you'd be better off in than the United States of America. And apparently under Biden and Harris, this um, insurance will now be, you don't even have to be a citizen of the United States. Just come here, break our laws, come into the country, and we will provide you with a whole range of benefits on the backs of working Americans, including health insurance. I can't see that selling to the American people this fall either if it's articulated correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, like even for me, just like looking at like the just back to the healthcare thing, you know, really quick, too, is just like looking at uh, when Obamacare rolled out. I remember my, my health insurance tripled in price for half the coverage, you know, mm -hmm. ju just like overnight. And it was like, how in the world is this better? Like this is this is like five steps in the wrong direction. And I, and I think that, you know, we again, we have to look at it from understanding their strategy of they create the problem so that way they can make a solution. And I think that we see this happen over and over and over again. Um, and I think the same thing is happening too when you're dealing with Black Lives Matter is they're pushing this idea and they've been pushing it for so long of like systemic racism and things like that. And it's like they're creating the problem so that way they can come in and fix it with more government eliminate the police altogether. I don't know what they're going to replace it with. It's like they're just continually taking this cycle over and over and over again. And at a certain point, it's like we got to wake Americans up. And especially now when we're watching this this Democrat National Convention and a lot of the things that they're saying, it's like they're blatantly telling us their strategy. They're blatantly telling us what they want to do. And it's not American at all. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. No, these are very extreme people that are deadly serious about getting to where they want to get. They see Biden as an empty vessel um, that will that is going to be very easy to manipulate. Um, if you look at the individuals they put out, even in the first night of the campaign, this um, 
Linda Sarsour, um, who's been an activist on um, uh, the um, BDS movement to to um, basically isolate Israel and to remove investment from Israel, you know, said things like support for Israel is racist. Um, she supported the uh, Assad Shakur, the uh, the radical who murdered the um, police officer and fled and was harbored by Castro's Cuban. Is she still in Cuba? You look at Biden and just like Chris Wallace, who just in my judgment couldn't be a more down the line objective um, news journalist, and Biden rejects an offer to appear on Chris Wallace's show but shows up on Cardi B's show uh, for, what, 40 minutes or so. And if you look, like I watched the beginning of that completely saddening yet hysterical interview of these two people. And, and you look at, like, like he's sitting in his basement and he has to have the mask on at the beginning of the interview and then removes the mask. Uh, this is another thing the American people have had it with. This mask, whether it's a great idea, an average idea, or a bad idea, um, set that aside. It's being used as a political prop, to, you know, which is my, my way of saying, look how bad things are. I'm in my own house. I need to wear it now. But now that you're going to talk to me, I can actually remove it. This is so intellectually dishonest. These people cannot be rewarded with political power. Um, and the American people... You know, we really need to awaken, I think, them to a bunch of realities that are important to recognize because, like every politician, Biden's got a great big smile and he's going to say what he thinks people want to hear based on very high-priced, sophisticated political polling. And it's just like Obama in, in 08, you know, we're, we're days away from fundamentally transforming the country all of these promises, getting rid of the 38 million un uninsured, lifting those out of poverty, fixing America's cities. By the time he left, that entire community, that entire community never even received two days of attention by them. They were political pawns, were manip manipulated and lied to, quickly discarded. Uh, the wealthy in America got much wealthier under Obama and Biden, um, and the poor became more dependent, more reliant. The welfare state grew on their watch. And that was a situation and a predicament that even to this day, they're both seemingly proud of. I mean, you don't hear Obama or Biden say, you know, I wish we hadn't had tens of millions of Americans who were at the poverty level, um, that we put tens of millions into the poverty level uh, during our eight years. I wish, you know, we hadn't put more millions onto food stamps. You kind of get the sense in the way they describe things that the idea of this big discrepancy of wealth distribution in the country was one that was in keeping with their grand design, which, by the way, where else do you see those discrepancies in the most profound ways you see them in Marxist and communist countries where, you know, the one or two percent that's affiliated with the party that runs the country has boundless resources, and the, the remaining 98% or so of the country are dependent upon those 1% or 2% to survive. The theory being that the 98% become inherently loyal to the 1% or 2%, and that allows them to continue this brutal form of dictatorship 
and mismanaged, um, horrific government. I, you know, I think ultimately these are guys that are comfortable with that. Um, and you never hear them really like how much, how difficult would it be for them to come out and denounce the human rights conditions in communist China or to acknowledge just some basic things that we ought to have borders or that um, if you can't, you know, you raise taxes too high, you actually do provide uh, a climate that becomes inhospitable for employment and uh, to America. I mean, there's just no cap that you ever hear rhetorically because they cannot concede that point without feeling that they get boxed in and are unable to accomplish their radical agenda. So there's just like huge issues in my judgment that they don't talk about. And then every once in a while they let one slip. I was looking at this interview with Anderson Cooper that uh, Biden did. And uh, this is not received. I mean, I think for those who are for whom second amendment rights and gun ownership is important, I'm sure they probably have seen this, but you know, uh, Anderson Cooper comes back and says, you know, there's, there's some, I'm paraphrasing here, but Anderson Cooper says, you know, there's some on, on the right conservatives who say that, you know, if you win in 2020, that you're actually going to uh, come for their guns. Um, what would you say to those people who believe that? Like giving them an opportunity to refute the thesis out there that they actually would do. He, he goes, bingo, bingo. And that's out there on video with uh, with them. I mean, so this idea that of gun confiscation, which many centrists and even conservatives have said, well, we've got more restrictive measures, but they're not going to like, you know, show up with warrants at your door looking for your guns. No, I mean, there's nothing to suggest here that the most radical confiscation measures uh, would not occur. Um and I, and I, I, I finally just an observation on the on the convention was very displeased to see the manipulation of of family members of those who were lost to this pandemic. Um, manipulated, I thought even AOC's comments as a professional speechwriter, I can tell you there was language in that minute and a half that she offered that was not the way she would have described things. They micromanaged this stuff. They, you know, pushed her to the side. They really didn't give her um, the, I think, attention and time that that part of the party, that movement wanted or desired. I can't imagine that many people are too happy. It, it's, we're really in a country where not too many people of any persuasion are too happy. You know, I think I think a vast majority of people are sick and tired of seeing the attacks on this president and seeing him torn down by things that were not of his creation and on the left, I think they've been planning, plotting, designing, manipulating, lying for so long to obtain power. And they realized really with the Tea Party movement 2010 wave that the far left would be blocked by the people um, in an organized way. And that's the message today, too. Um, I wish we could work with them. I would work with them. I offered personally to work with Obama when he said he wanted to work with us in that famous speech in Arnold, Missouri, it was all political rhetoric. They were, they were not responsive. They did not take us up when we followed up on it. They have no interest in negotiation, no interest in bipartisanship. Anything they say to that effect is just political posturing. I'm guaranteeing you from personal experience as someone who has a strong inclination to want to pursue that path, 
that there is it's literally not an option in a lot of cases with the current Democrat Party. And um, it won't be if they win, you know, so uh, this idea that somehow we're going to resolve partisan divide by putting the most partisan people in the history of this country in charge is it's not possible. Uh, Trump is not rigidly partisan. He would love to work with the Democrat Party. I think he'd love to again. He's forgiving. He's willing to do it. But you got to sit down. You got to have an interest in it. You got to be sincere. And they're just not interested in it, even on the most basic fundamental things. We should have an infrastructure plan in place by now that was promised and that the American people voted for. Um, this ongoing debate over the latest stimulus is absolutely ridiculous. That these guys, would, Democrats, would just pick up and leave town with issues like unemployment compensation and and important small business and other relief unresolved is outrageous. There should be absolute outrage by American people. I think that's part of my message right now is is get up and get involved because, um, you know, they're going to keep steamrolling us until we push back. No, absolutely. And, and, I th- and I think as conservatives, like you're saying, we have to stand up. We have we have to get involved. We have to I think we have to do everything we can to get to get our voices heard, but then also turn out and actually vote and, and get the right get the right people in when it when it comes to November. It's not just about Trump versus Biden. It's about it's about your local elections. It's about the House. It's about the Senate. It's about all of that. And, and it's and it's vitally important too. I think because it's it's like what what we're seeing right now is I feel like November's coming up and, it, and it's and it's do or die time to a certain degree because. If, if you're watching the DNC speeches last night, they literally talked about, and I know that uh, Chuck Schumer was even talking about this during during his short speech as well. But like, if they if if they get in power, they're going to give, like you said, the, the 30 million illegal immigrants. They're going to be legal. It's a huge Democrat voting bloc. They're talking about making Washington D.C. a state. More senators, more representatives going democrat they're you know i don't know if they were talking about it here but i know bernie sanders and a lot of the and a lot of the democrats have been talking about making giving felons the right to vote again again more democrat voting if they yeah voter i mean all of this is basically ensuring we're going to have democrats in control for for decades to come if they get full power and that's where i think this election is so vitally important because when you look at their platform you look at what they're pushing it's so un-American, I don't even know how it passes the smell test. It only does if they're able to conceal the reality of it from the American people over the next 80 days or so. Um, I, I will I, I'm I got to look to see if there's some polling on how the American people are looking at this convention, because you know, usually a convention, historically, a party will get and a ticket will get a little bump politically. Um I feel like we've had two consecutive days here that have been a train wreck. I just think the the message is incoherent. It's obviously they're concealing things. Um, they're they don't really have any hugely popular figures to put forward. Um, I guess the best they have was Michelle Obama, who was really just grossly unfair and vague, unbelievably vague in her criticisms. Um, you know, things are not going well. Well, yeah, they're not going well because communist China that your husband facilitated in acquiring all this power, uh, who actually funded the research of the Wuhan virus facility where this virus was almost certainly, in my judgment, developed and studied, um, was unleashed on this country in an act of what is almost warfare. Um, you know, uh, 
there's going to be under President Trump accountability for communist China economically and otherwise. I don't think Biden's going to do anything about it. He says we need to not take China too seriously, I think was was his phrase. Um, you know, Robert Gates, I read his biography uh, long before this race back kind of like 2014 and talked in that book about Biden. It's worth reading. Um, he, he had wrote that uh, Biden had been wrong on every major foreign policy decision over the last four decades. Every major, like not like a little bit right, but like literally every one. Um, and, and he's exactly right. I mean, if you look at it, he voted against the 1991 liberation of Kuwait that was accomplished very efficiently by President Bush 41, who I worked for, and voted for the 2003 invasion of Iraq, which was much more dubious and questionable, ultimately proved almost certainly a mistake. But then subsequently, when the surge arose, which was kind of part of the solution to resolving voted against the surge, um, been all over the map on these issues. Very obviously, Burisma, we don't hear anything about Burisma, but, you know, he's utilized positional authority to enrich his family. Uh, communist China, same thing. He's compromised with communist China, my judgment. Um, the economic platform, it's it's basically, like you said, I mean, it's, it's a, a complete destruction of the foundation of our sovereignty and free market economy that would be uh, completely um, destroyed on his watch. By the way, he voted he voted against labeling the, IR, the IRGC and Iran a terrorist organization, um, which is incredible. Um, voted for TPP, another globalist plan that 5,600 pages or so that individuals never got around to reading that would have taken a lot of sovereignty out of the United States on these uh, international trade uh, disagreements. Um, and Harris, I think, like if you're looking at the street riots and you're saying we got an issue with criminal justice reform, do you vote for President Trump who actually initiated put together, assembled, and signed the First Step Act, which is the first major piece of criminal justice reform in our lifetimes that released a good number of people from prison, created conditions under which they could be released, created more humanitarian conditions in um, penitentiaries, had a lot of other constructive steps on there. Uh, or do you vote for Kamala Harris, who you know was a prosecutor known for being really pretty dismissive of even exonerating evidence in literally death sentence cases. Um, one prominent case that you know should get a lot of attention that she prosecuted where there were motions to have some advanced forensics done that would have potentially exonerated um, a death sentence defendant in California. And she voted against it, and they didn't get a lot of attention there. But the New York Times subsequently came back to look at it, wrote a pretty big profile on it. And then, of course, she comes forward as, oh, yeah, well, that was probably a mistake in my judgment, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they always apologize once they're called out on this stuff. But I'm telling you, their instincts on just about every front are, um, are really negative. And I don't know if I mentioned, maybe I did. I've been trying to mention. But, you know, if you looked at the eight years of Obama and you said, what's the one accomplishment? Like, did they do anything that you could single out? Um, ben Laden probably should have been taken out when he was in Sudan under Clinton 
and uh, Susan Rice wouldn't look at intel, intel information from the Sudanese government, who she had a problem with. So we didn't do it then. Not that, in, in essence, laid the foundation for 9-11. Um, but Joe Biden was one of the few in the Obama administration who opposed and has been up front in saying he opposed the raid that took out bin Laden. The guy has horrible judgment. He's got mental faculty issues. And he's got a vice president who also the vast majority of Americans believe is absolutely unqualified for the presidency. So this is not an option in my judgment. Case has got to be made very persuasively. And we and the American people cannot rely exclusively on the campaign and the Republican Party to organize, to win this. Um, I don't say that disparagingly. It's just a big undertaking. It requires your political involvement here over the next, you know, less than three months now. Um, to save the country, I don't think that's asking too much. But, you know, we've got to get this president reelected and we've got to hopefully maintain leadership in the Senate and try to pick up the 31 plus seats that Trump won in 2016 that are being outrageously held by Democrats um, and many other seats that I think are winnable. These Democrats are voting in unison. There is no such thing as a moderate Democrat anymore. They all vote with Nancy Pelosi. They're globalists, don't believe in borders, believe in high taxes, don't believe in the private sector, uh, believe in vast expansions of the welfare state until such time as everybody's dependent on them, at which point history dictates they'll remove those benefits as well. So it's a very, very, as you correctly said, Jeff, uh, decisive moment for this country and for the American people and for our very survival. Yeah. Now, now there, there's a couple of questions over here on Periscope. I was just going to ask you really quick as we're closing out. So one of them is, uh, do you believe this election will be contested in the courts because of USPS? Do you feel like that's any sort of controversy that we're going to have to be prepared for? Uh, there's, I think we're only going to have mandatory mail-in ballots in a few states. So um, I think you would see that associated with that. Any move to I'm very glued in with this right now. I'm very involved with this right now. Any move on a state basis to move to mandatory mail-in ballot will be immediately challenged in the courts. Uh, but we do have a few states where it's going to happen, and there are some important ones. But um, there is no problem uh, functionally with the post office or with USPS. Uh, this is like another left-wing conspiracy theory, like the Russia um, collusion theory is, which, by the way, there, I was you know on a global television network yesterday with one of their... Democrat Party's um, leading theorists and strategists, they're continuing to push. You know, Trump would not be there if the Russians hadn't helped him. They, this guy said that point of way. And it's, they're really prepared to say and do anything. And this is their latest um, conspiracy theory, really. I mean, it's what yeah. it is. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then the last one, which I think is like the perfect question to end on, is what can I do? I, I, and I think that, that that's that's the frustration that I think a lot of Americans have when it comes to politics is at a certain point you're like okay so I could vote but what what else, what else in all reality can I do right now to actually turn things around? Most Americans have some basic uh, friendships or neighbors that with whom they share a general common vision of the world. And you heard me say earlier, I believe the vast majority of this country does have shared values. It's, that's what unifies us and keeps us together. Um, we have numbers. They have the megaphones. Um, my suggestion, strong suggestion, 
is that the, the, le- the lessons of the 2009 Tea Party movement continue to be the most important political lessons in history of grassroots conservative organization. And that is that local organization is always the best. Uh, if you have a local um, Tea Party, pro-constitution, liberty organization, get involved through that. Uh, can get involved in your local Republican Party. If you don't like the way your Republican Party is being led or their messaging or whatnot, put up new candidates and win. It's usually as simple as getting more people in the room than the other side has. And if you don't have a local Tea Party or liberty-oriented organization, um, get your friends together and start one. As you, as you execute and move along and you do projects and you're successful at them, other people will want to come in and you'll be able to grow your effectiveness. And, you know, groups of people with a shared mission are always vastly more successful than those same individuals operating in isolation. Yeah, definitely. Perfect, perfect way to end, I think. So, uh, but yeah, Michael, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Let everybody know uh, how they can follow you on social media and keep up on all your writings and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So. Uh, I guess the big three on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Twitter, my name, one word, Michael Johns. Um, On uh, Facebook, Michael Johns Tea Party. And on YouTube, my name, Michael Johns, one word. Um, Yeah, please follow me on those three. Please reach out to me if you're facing any challenges, issues, or questions on your grassroots involvement. Please continue to follow Jeff and, and stay involved. Um, he's communi- I think you're communicating and organizing in a very constructive way. I hope you'll continue to grow. I think you will continue to grow and be more and more effective. And, um, you know, let's remain happy warriors, uh, committed to victory, but uh, doing it pleasantly and, and uh, collectively and collaboratively. Absolutely. Yeah, Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Really, as, as always, really enjoy our conversations. But, yeah, I really appreciate you coming yeah. on again. We'll have you back on again sometime for sure. Look forward to it, Jeff. Thanks. Of course. Take care. Of course. Thank you. And then everybody else watch, make sure you guys go over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. If you can, really helps with the algorithms and getting found. And then uh, finally, if you would like to support everything we're doing here with the Gatekeepers, uh, go over to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. That's our membership program. You'll get access to a bunch of cool perks, including the recording from our Destroy Social Justice Conference, as well as 30% off of anything in our uh, bookstore that we have. So definitely check that out, gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. And then, uh, yeah, definitely subscribe, leave us a review, and we will see you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. 
This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark.